Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John 5, verse 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called the Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. This is the word of God for the people of God. We are in the second week of a sermon series called Diving In. Last week, Pastor Jeff invited us to dive in to the storms in our lives with Jesus as Jesus comes alongside us in the boat and offers peace and calms those storms with his presence within. Today, we look at a new story of Jesus by the waters with us. Are we ready? Let's dive in. Will you pray with me? Holy, holy God, as we worship this day, Speak to us. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. That we would let our souls catch up to us and hear your voice and feel you moving within us. Lord, we love you. And we pray this day that the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our refuge, our anchor, our savior. Amen and amen. That night was hot, sticky, humid, like some nights here this week. It was about 10 years ago and I was staying at my sister's house. She and her husband live in a rural area surrounded by trees and low rolling hills with a few houses a field or two away. I was sitting outside in the dark in her yard. It had gotten late. Late enough for the people in those houses a field or two away to have gone to bed and turned off the lights. It was my third such visit to my sister's house in multiple weeks. We had lost three family members within a span of about four months, and it was the eve before we were to gather for that third funeral the next morning. It was overwhelmingly dark outside, and I was feeling empty enough inside to match it. Darkness in every direction. We were drained, tired, 
worn out all of us. Grief, dementia, and long-term illness can take a lot out of us. I remember sitting there listening to the crickets and thinking about what we had lost and the service we would have again that next morning. And then out of nowhere, I saw it. One, then two, then five, then seven, then 12, and 35, and 40, and 50, and too many for me to count. Lightning bugs, fireflies, tiny lanterns all around me and in the trees ahead. I could hear Psalm 139 ringing in my ears that new life can break through in the teeniest of spaces. That psalm tells us that even the darkness is not dark to God. Lightning bugs were to me like God's defiant hope. Breaking through, no matter how dark the darkness gets, God can change it. Jesus is pretty good at breaking through it. I thank God for that. The fireflies were like the church family and friends who popped up too in those days in support and love around us. Today's story is about something like that, about Jesus changing the shape of someone's darkness with hope that defies what we have known, hope that goes against the grain, hope that is some kind of powerful. And today's story captures that for a man who had lost it. Jesus comes to Jerusalem for a festival. And while he's there, he goes to a pool with five porticos or porches. It is called, in some translations, Bethsaida. In others, Bethsaida, and still others, Bethesda, meaning house of grace or house of mercy. The pool draws people who are ill, disabled, injured, paralyzed. They believe that the waters there have healing powers. There was an underground spring that would on occasion bubble up and cause the waters to stir. Legend said that angels stirred that water and they believed that they were the first to enter the pool after it stirred, you could be healed. Jesus approaches a man in the story, one among dozens, sitting or lying under the covered walkways, waiting for the water to bubble up there by the porches so that he could be healed, at least That was the man's hope, or at least it used to be. The guy Jesus spots has been coming to that pool for 38 years. And given the lifespan of people back then, that's pretty much his entire life. Scripture does not say what his ailment is only that he had had that condition a very long time, perhaps as long as he could remember. Jesus walks over to him. He does not identify himself. The man does not know who Jesus is. And Jesus asks him one question. Do you want to be made well? 
It's a yes or no question. But the man does not answer with a yes or no. What he says is, well, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. And when I start heading there by myself, every time people push me out of the way and the others get there first. That's his answer. His is not a new problem. Maybe he stopped trying to get in the water years ago. We don't know. Regardless, he's been there for a very long time and does not know what else to do. His darkness set in not overnight, but decades ago. Jesus simply says to the man, stand up, take your mat and walk. The man gets up, takes his mat and starts walking into a new life from out of nowhere, like a thousand lightning bugs or a few friends from church just showed up and that's it. He's healed forever different. When I read this story, I wonder why Jesus picked this guy out of all the people there. The man does not make a great poster child for healing. Why not pick someone who's trying harder or at least who answers yes to the question? What do we do with this story? I heard another pastor years ago preach on this text. And what he said is that this guy's complaining and whining and needs to buck up, pull himself up by his bootstraps, try to get in the water again. That preacher was stuck on that old saying, God helps those who help themselves. That preacher wanted the guy to answer with a resounding yes when Jesus asked if he wanted to be made well. I think that's missing the point. God drew my attention in a different direction. And what was that? I don't think it's my place to judge the guy by the pool. Who knows what he has lived through? The ways he's been excluded or judged? Maybe some of us know what it is to be discouraged like that to try to change a situation over and over only to hit one more dead end and be disappointed again, to knock on one door after another and find them all locked, or to try and try and fail at something and not be eager to try again or reach the point at which we've lost the capacity to hope for a different outcome when we do. Who Jesus chooses under the portico that day is a discouraged, disappointed soul. Discouragement, disillusionment, and disappointment are serious business. It is darkness that is overwhelming, darkness in every direction from where you sit and thinking it will never change. No lightning bugs in sight. What is that like? In a homeless ministry that I knew, volunteers found out one of the women had been a successful business executive in her earlier life. So they worked hard as volunteers to get her resume together, get her sharp clothes, and use their contacts to set up interviews with prestigious businesses. 
And she did not go to any of those interviews. She was sitting under the portico with the man from John chapter 5. What the volunteers asked her was, don't you want to be successful? It's a yes or no question. But instead of a resounding yes, this was her response. Why do you want to fix me up to send me back out in the system that ground me up in the first place? Discouragement, disillusionment, disappointment. That's all she could see under the portico where she sat beside the man, beside the pool, overwhelmed by darkness. I remember a patient at the hospital years ago. He needed to change his diet or he wasn't going to survive, and he knew that, and he tried some. But what he ate kept bringing him back to be admitted at the hospital again and again as his health just spiraled downward drastically. When I sat and talked with him about it, he soberly said to me, I'm digging my grave with my teeth. I asked what it would look like to change that. And he responded, with stories about how it was so hard to change. It was like I asked, do you want to be made well? And there was no resounding yes. Only stories of discouragement, disillusionment, disappointment while he sat under the portico beside the man beside the pool, overwhelmed by darkness. I realize some folks gave up a long time ago hoping life would ever be different. So no, I don't want to judge the guy. I've heard pastors who serve in depressed places like inner cities and areas with generational poverty say that awakening hope in someone is the hardest part of their jobs. Discouragement disillusionment, disappointment. They can have loud voices. Those pastors said that if God can use them to spark one flicker of hope, a single firefly of it, then things will start moving again. If not, it's a lost cause. Turns out Jesus loves lost causes. And I thank God for that. This story in John chapter 5 is less about the inability of this man by the pool to say yes to Jesus or to life. It seems he's given up on that. But Jesus hasn't given up on him. Which brings us back to the point of the story. I don't think Jesus chooses him because he was supposed to say a resounding yes. I think Jesus chooses him because he can't. Jesus is that compassionate and powerful. In this story, Jesus' healing grace has no conditions. His power to save is not based on the person's ability to ask for it. The point of the story 
is the power and love of Jesus to bring change and hope when darkness has settled in, even if we have given up on it. And disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment have grown loud. Jesus takes the first leap off the diving board in this story to transform a life. He goes in first for this man and first for us. It's a crazy story. There is that old saying that goes, God helps those who help themselves. Perhaps you've heard it. Some people think it's from the Bible. It's not. Some attribute it to Benjamin Franklin, but in the little research I did, it came out of a British essay in the 1600s and before that, Greek tragedies and fables. And there's a lot of good to be said about the importance of personal and communal accountability and the courage to ask for help, and I'm all for that. But that's not the point of this story. This story shows us God's help is not based on whether we help ourselves or not. I'm all for that too. In this story we see Jesus can step in and change our lives without our permission and without our knowing his name. It is not this man's faith that heals him. It is Jesus The man doesn't even know it's Jesus. There's no confession of sin, no statement of faith before or after. It does not seem to matter how the man answers Jesus' question or even if he does. The good news is that Jesus dives in first for us. In fact, he already did that over 2,000 years ago. That's finished before we ever knew his name. And thank God Jesus is still in the business of saving us. I could tell you story after story of persons whose lives were turned around, people whose lives were saved in more ways than one, of phone calls and strangers and neighbors and miracles of hope and love and the teeniest start of healing a firefly of it, at just the right time. When God changed the shape of someone's darkness with the love and power of Jesus. Jesus has the power to change what we think cannot be changed. To move what we think cannot be moved. To encourage what we think is discouraged. To bring hope into what we think is beyond it. To give new life and save us when we don't even know his name. He helps those who help themselves. He helps those who cannot help themselves. He helps those who have given up on helping themselves. He helps those who are overzealous at helping themselves. He helps those who do not even know how to help themselves. He helps those who are sitting by the water, not sure if they want help at all. The point is, Jesus helps. Period. Have you ever stood on a diving board at a swimming pool 
and wondered whether you would dive in. I was one of those kids at the local community pool who would wait for my turn on the diving board. And when I got out there, I stood on the end of it, not sure if I was going to jump in after all or not. When are faith and life like that? Like a push-pull relationship with Jesus. When he asks if we want to trust him with our lives. And we are not quite sure. You might be on the fence about Jesus. Jesus is not on the fence about you. Jesus dives in first for us, before us, and says the water's fine. Come on in and join me. Stand up, take up your mat, and walk toward new life, new hope, new love. Jesus helps. Thanks be to God.